And today we're on Romans 15, and we're going to be covering verses 5 to 13. Romans 15, 5 to 13. Well, this is going to be, believe it or not, our last Sunday inside before we go out to the amphitheater. Amen? Long last. I can't wait. And this is our last Sunday in this year of the caring community that began the first Sunday of September. And this is the last sermon that you're going to hear uh, that's related to being a caring community, at least for a while. It's the last time Paul talks about loving one another. Uh, in the book of Romans, the supreme quality of, of a true Christianity that we've been focusing on. And he concludes by teaching that being a caring community is at the very heart of worshiping God like he wants to be worshipped. That's how he concludes. And so I think it's fitting today that we'll conclude in the same way, that the ultimate reason for being a caring community is that with one voice, as he says, in one accord, we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is our highest priority. And so what we've been focusing on this year is a pretty high priority because it backs ultimately our worship. Especially these days, a congregation's worship, in a lot of ways anyway, is the ultimate proof of whether they're really a caring community. And it's the ultimate test of whether they're really, they really love one another. And we're going to see it's the ultimate expression uh, of our care for one another when in all of our diversity of styles, our diversity of preferences, we come together in unity and glorify our God and Father. Some of you know that there's a great division in the church in America these days over this whole uh, issue of worship. Books have been written about it. Witness the one that you'll see up there on the screen. It's actually titled Worship Wars, and there are many others. In fact, I'd recommend getting it. It's Elmer Towns, and he's a great writer. In fact, I have an article in my files from the Gazette Telegraph, Colorado Springs, called Love Him or Leave Him. Love, H-Y-M-N, or Leave Him, sub- subtitled uh, Discord Over Music Threatens to Split Religious Congregations. There was a time when the biggest dispute over church music was whether the pianist was playing off-key. Oh, for the days. Today, the sound of worship has become a battleground between generations that threatens to split congregations. Virtually every congregation in America, said the Reverend Thomas Long of the Chandler School of Theology at Emory University in Atlanta, virtually every congregation in America is experiencing the tension between traditional and contemporary forms of worship. Long, who has, been complete, who has just completed a study of the debate between contemporary and traditional music for the Alban Institute, said pastors across the country face similar, a similar dilemma. Do they cater to the traditional tastes of older church members who provide the backbone of, backbone of financial and volunteer support, or do they use contemporary music to draw in newer, younger people who are the congregation's uh, future? It's gotten so bad that it's regularly called Worship Wars. And a book's been titled by that name. In another day, the war was over doctrine. Uh, Great denominations back in the 30s and 40s split over the great doctrines of the faith. Uh, Many left churches that they'd been in all their lives because their churches, their denominations, were forsaking the fundamentals of the faith. 
But these days, you'll find a whole lot more people willing to sit under teaching they don't agree with, that might even be false doctrine, in churches holding to doctrines that might, may or may not be biblical because they like the worship. We're going to see today that worship is not about the hymns or the praise songs that, that, uh, that we so love. It's not about the styles and preferences that we so love. No, under everything else, worship is all about the people that we so love. The people. That's the teaching of our passage for today. It's one I've come back to many times over the years to address on this issue of worship, uh, even here at DCC. And today we're going to do it again. We have to because it's the next passage now in our verse-by-verse exposition of the book of Romans. Providentially, I think, the last message on being a caring community, as I've said. The teaching is this. It's that if we're divided when it comes to our worship... So often, anyway, the real problem, the root problem, is not the drugs, I mean the the drums, though some people may think they're as bad as drugs, or the organ, you know, if you've got an organ. It's not the praise songs, it's not the hymns. In God's ears, the root problem is far, far more than being a failure in music, is that a, a failure in love. That's God's perspective. Because our love for one another is kind of the ground zero of the kind of worship that he wants. The father wants to see his children unified. And no matter how good it sounds, if we're not unified, it's a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal in his ears. He wants worship that comes from hearts that are united in love. That's the bottom line, according to God's word. It's at the heart of what it means to be a truly caring community. Romans 15, starting uh, in verse 5. He says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement, the idea being you're going to have to have a lot of perseverance and encouragement to do what I'm going to tell you to do, that is to worship with, with united hearts. May the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, that with one accord you may with one voice glorify, this is worship, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, accept one another, especially Sunday mornings, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. You see what he's saying? He's saying that we're to be of the same mind, that's verse 5, so that we may with one voice glorify God. Here we see that the secret of worshiping with one voice has to do with being of one mind, right? And what does that mean? You know, agreeing with one mind on which forms of worship is best or that you like most and doing that, everyone liking the same thing. No, worshiping with one voice comes of being with one mind. And that means, next verse, verse 7, accepting one another to the glory of God. When with one mind we accept one another unconditionally, Paul's saying that uh, we are then able with one voice to glorify the God and Father uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know of any other way to read these verses. It seems that, as usual, the Scripture kind of slices through, you know, our complicated controversies on what's best, what preference is good, and, and our, all of our contemptuous convictions to reveal something that's very simple, the shattering and disarming simplicity of the truth. And the simplicity of the truth, we're going to see, is this, as we let God set the agenda when it comes to our worship. It's, it's this, if you want to glorify God, 
the way that he wants to be glorified uh, in worship. You'll stop focusing on what you like, and you'll start focusing on who you love. You'll stop focusing on what you like, and you'll start focusing on who you love. Because we're going to see today that a good part of the heart of worship is this. It's not about who you like. It's who you love. Let's read it once again so that we can let it sink in. And I'll read a few more verses after. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement, you're going to have to work at this, grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. He kind of recounts some doctrine. And what's the whole purpose of what he's done through all that doctrine? For the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will give praise to thee among the Gentiles, and I will sing thy name. And again he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. He wanted to bring two very diverse groups together in order to worship with one mind. That's what he's saying, Jews and Gentiles. Back then, the church was made up of those two main groups. And I can't imagine, you know, two groups of people that were more diverse and who had more different preferences on all levels, including the kinds of songs and styles of music they'd prefer. And yet Paul says, he speaks into that situation, and he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, you know, in a separate contemporary service where you can get what you want. No, No, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, with the Jews, in one service like we do, a blended service of both. That way you may with one mind glorify God. Now, he tells us what it means to be of the same mind as we unpack this just a little bit. Back at the beginning of this section uh, in Romans chapter 12, Romans 12, 16. Let's let the scripture define itself. What does it mean to be of one mind? Romans 12, 16, be of the same mind toward one another. And then in the next phrase, he defines it by giving its opposite. Be of the same mind with one another. Do not be haughty in mind. So on the negative side, the opposite of being of the same mind is to be haughty in mind, to look down on our brothers and sisters. And you see a lot of that these days when it uh, comes, uh, you know, to the way people worship. There's a lot of pride with some people who attend contemporary services. And there's a lot of pride with some people who uh, attend traditional services. There there really are, not everyone, but sometimes there are snobs on both sides of this great divide who are not of one mind. I've seen students and adults turn up their noses at each other when it comes to the kind of worship that they like. Those who like praise songs sometimes think that the old folks have no feelings for the Lord. You know? They never raise their hands. They're so stilted in their worship. It's not real. Right? Where's their intimacy with God? And there can be such arrogance on the traditional side from the older people who are supposed to be more mature. They often think that the younger generation has no appreciation for good music, for true worship. They don't even know what worship is. 
These kids are so shallow. They're so superficial. Where's the, where's the majesty of God? Older folks ask. Where's, our, where's the intimacy with God? Sometimes younger folks ask. And of course, both have a point in a way. If we could only see what we sound like sometimes, if we could you know, only put ourselves in the other shoes and hear what our worship that we think is so great sounds to them across the great divide. It's like the farmer who went to a city one weekend and attended a big city church. Uh, some of you have heard this before, but it's so good I can't resist uh, repeating it again. He came home and his wife asked him how it was. How the work well said the farmer, it was good. They did something different, however. They sang praise songs instead of hymns. Praise songs, said his wife. What are those? Oh, they're okay. They're sort of like hymns, only different, said the farmer. Well, what's the difference, asked his wife. The farmer said, well, it's like this. If I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn. Well, that would be a hymn. If, on the other hand, I were to say to you, Martha, 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 oh, Martha, Martha, Martha. The cows, the big cows, the brown cows, the black cows, the white cows, the black and white cows, and the cows, cows, cows are in the corn, are in the corn, are in the corn, are in the corn, and the corn, corn, corn. Amen, guys? If I were to... And then, if I were to repeat the whole thing two or three times, right? Well, that would be a praise song. Those of you who are younger need to know that's how you kind of sound like sometimes to those who are older. The next weekend, his nephew, a young new Christian from the city, came to visit and attended the local church of the small town. He went home and his mother asked him how it was. Well, said the young man, it was good. They did something different, however. They sang hymns instead of praise songs. Hymns, asked his mother, what are those? Oh, they're okay. They're, they're, they're sort of like praise songs, only different, said the young man. Well, what's the difference, asked his mother. The young man said, well, it's like this. If I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn, well, that would be a regular praise song. If, on the other hand, I were to say to you, oh, Martha, dear Martha, hear thou my cry. Inclinest thine ear to the words of my mouth. Turn thou thy whole wondrous ear by and by to the righteous, intimidable, glorious truth. For the way of the animals, who can explain? There in their heads is no shadow of sense. And hearkenest they on, uh, in God's sun or his rain, unless from the mild tempting corn they are fenced. Yea, those clouds in glad bovine, rebellious delight, have broke free from their shackles, their warm pens eschewed. Then, goaded by minions of darkness and night, they all, my mild chilliwack, sweet corn, have chewed. So look to the bright shining day by and by where all foul corruptions of earth are reborn, where no vicious animals make my soul cry, and I no longer see those foul cows in the corn. And then, said the boy, if I were to do only verses 1, 3, and 4 and do a key change in the last verse, well, that would be a hymn. If you're older, you need to know that that's how sometimes you sound to the younger generation. If we could only hear what we sound like. Yet we can get so snooty about our preferences, can't we? Haughty of mind, rather than being on the same level, being of the same mind. 
What does it look like in practice? Well, it's what we do with our kids when they're younger, when they sing nursery rhymes. Or with our grandkids. What, you know, why don't we turn up our noses at them? <laughs> why, why did Julie and I sing, you know, Jesus loves me with all our heart when our kids were into that kind of singing? Why do some people go on missions trips and thoroughly you know, enjoy the worship uh, overseas, the same worship that they'd be angered at in their own church? Why? A good part of it, anyway, is that when we're doing it right, we're thinking less about what we like and more about whom we love. And so we choose to be at their level, to be of the same mind with them. And so, you know, there you are sitting in the service. And to be honest, you're not really getting into what's being sung at the, mo- at the moment or on that particular Sunday. And your brother, on the other hand, your brother or your sister next to you sure is. He or she is praising God with all their heart. And, or maybe, maybe it's your teenage grandchild who's now in the service with you. And you're rejoicing that they finally decided to attend church. And you used to hate that music. But as you watch him, suddenly your heart feels strangely warm, right? And you're praising God too because, because they're praising God. They might come back to church. Because you're thinking less about what you like. And you're thinking more about whom you love. And you're thinking, there's the next generation sitting next to me, and a generation that we are losing, worshiping God with all their heart, with their kind of worship, even as they grow deeper in their faith through your kind of worship, which is why we do both. Even as we all, underneath it, most importantly, grow together in love with perseverance and long-suffering. That's music in the Father's ears, that kind of love. And without that, He doesn't care about our worship. Reminds me of what Mike Lewis experienced. He's a pastor at a church in Houston where uh, I used to pastor. Houston, Texas? Great place, huh? All right. These guys are from Spring. Many of them knew of Spring Branch where we were. He, um, we, uh, they, too, were pursuing multiple styles of worship in the same service. And a convergence of styles, which church growth experts say is a good way to get everyone mad at you. If you want to grow numerically, don't do that. And we have idolized numerical growth, and so we've divided the church into special interest groups whose needs we can feed. But Mike Lewis feels, as we do too, as he puts it, different styles result in shared sacrifice. That's love. And spiritual maturity. That's everything. Let me say that again. Different styles result in shared sacrifice and spiritual maturity. Maybe that's why more and more the church in America is getting more and more superficial. And it doesn't just, though, result in shared sacrifice and maturity. It requires it. And so the question is this. Are you spiritually mature enough to handle it? Are you spiritually mature enough in this service to do your part in sharing the sacrifice? 
he said that one of their retreats, he preached on the topic of shared sacrifice and um, how that's what true love means. And at one point, he led them in a time of sharing their favorite songs. And about halfway through, Pastor Mike piped up and said, and I'm reading here from his first-hand account, he said, why don't we apply this principle of shared sacrifice? From now on, you can only suggest a song that's not one of your favorites, that's one of, that's, but one that you know others here would like. He said, people looked at me as if I had just shown up uninvited to their party. Let's pass the acid test, he said, by singing those songs as passionately as we would sing our own favorites. There was silence, he said, a profound pause. Then a few softly spoken, easy, uneasy suggestions were offered. But before the weekend was out, the suggestions came easier and faster. They huddled to ask each other about their preferences, and the singing was never better. He concludes, several weeks later, long after the points of my sermon were but a faint memory, and I can relate to how hard that might have been, people were still talking about the great worship time that we had. One person said, I, don't, I didn't realize how satisfying worship could be just by showing our love, by refusing to please ourselves. We remembered, Pastor Mike wrote, that we were part of a different kingdom where there is no greater love than laying down one's own life. And if that's what we're called to do, how about a little laying down of our own preferences? For a friend. Wherefore, Paul says, accept one another, just as Christ also has accepted us. So, how did Christ accept us? Does he give any kind of example when it comes to accepting us in terms of worship? Well, yes, he does. Can you imagine all that he had to put up with? Yet he accepted them with open arms. Look at what he did in the upper room. It says, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The the hymn they sang was the second part of the Hillel, which came at the close of the traditional uh, Passover meal. It was a very simple song. It was a praise song which the people loved. But put yourself in Christ's shoes. For all eternity, he'd been listening to the angels sing. Ever thought about that? Sometimes solos or duets, you know, in ensembles, sometimes choirs, sometimes all at once, myriads upon myriads, you know, around the throne giving glory to God in the right way with the right words. The best choirs, the greatest worship teams in the world wouldn't even begin to compare to what he knew. Which means that no matter how well, you know, we offer up the great hymns of the faith, we'd better offer them up with some humility in light of what's going on in heaven. And no matter, you know, how much that simple praise song comes from your heart, no matter how uh, sincere it may be, how many tears may come, how high you lift your hands, um, you need to offer it up with some humility too because it can't begin to compare with the sincerity and the passion of their worship up in heaven. Yes, it's still a pleasing aroma to God Almighty when we do it, or at least it can be. What's going up, uh, uh, you know, around the world in different tongues and in different styles and cathedrals from a million homes, from countless grass hut churches, because he focuses far more on who he loves than on what he likes. And if he treats me that way, if he treats you that way, shouldn't we treat our brothers and sisters that way? Therefore, 
accept one another. Let me conclude with this. C.S. Lewis faithfully attended the Anglican Church for year after year after year after it, uh, before it went liberal in its doctrine, even though the sermons, he said, would put him to sleep. They, they didn't suit his preferences. This great literary giant. And uh, so did the hymns. And he said the organ sounded like one long roar. Imagine that. C.S. Lewis hated the organ. Fancy that. Different strokes for different stroke, folks. But why did Lewis attend his little parish church in spite of all that, decade after decade, organ and all, every week until the year of his death? You'll find the answer in his book, Screwtape Letters, where he has the chief tempter, whose name is Screwtape. He has him saying this. Listen carefully. If a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him. Until he becomes a taster or connoisseur of churches. The search for a suitable church makes a man a critic where God wants him to be a pupil. Are you a critic in here or are you a pupil? What he wants of the layman, that is God, in a church is an attitude which may be critical in the sense of rejecting what is false. Yes, doctrine is really important. But which is wholly uncritical in the sense that it does not appraise. An attitude that does not waste time thinking about what it does not like but lays itself open in uncommenting, humble receptivity to any nourishment that might come its way. Not, a bad, not bad marching orders for what we should do when we come and sit down in here. We should lay ourselves open in uncommenting, humble receptivity to any nourishment that might come our way. This attitude especially during sermons and songs, creates the condition in which the truth can become really audible to the human soul. The attitude of humility. Because God resists the proud and gives grace and a fullness of worship to the humble. To which I would only add that it creates a condition in which love can become really palpable and worship uh, really powerful when we focus less on what we like and more on who we love. Wherefore, accept one another just as Christ accepted us to the glory of God, that with one accord we may with one voice glorify our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we do want to thank you for the clarity of your Scripture we can make things so complicated with so many different issues. Thank you for the disarming simplicity of this truth. It's not the last word, but this is the first word before every word on worship. Thank you, Father, for the degree to which we are a caring community and how you have deepened that and widened it and enriched it over these last nine months. Father, I pray now that uh, we're done with this year that week after week, 
our love, our care for one another would show in our worship to please your Father's heart. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.